The scripture reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied with its colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, just say this, the Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat upon them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. I guess I can't get too animated today. They're all sudden palm branches flying. The month of March is well known for the madness of the NCAA tournaments, both the men's and women's. Tonight, is anyone an Iowa fan or an LSU fan? Okay, that's right. I think uh, I challenge the staff to complete an NCAA bracket. Only. Well, gosh, I was going to give her credit, but she's a little haughty this morning. Uh, I only had so many participants, unfortunately not from the senior pastor. Um, The women's brackets were complete the most, and I was going to give somebody credit for having Iowa in the final, but she's a little haughty this morning. Um, So just know who she is. Um, She's probably going to win the bracket challenge for that, having Iowa in in the championship. You, you picked them to win, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like a, you know, she had Iowa versus Iowa State in the finals. So. <laughs> it worked out. It worked out. And then I think Monday is UConn versus San Diego State, right? Watched the end of that San Diego State game last night. What makes the tournament so compelling is that it's a one-and-done Tournament, meaning one bad game, even from a very good team, can be the end of what had otherwise been a great season. Now, this, this counters from leagues like, professional leagues like the NBA, where postseason tournaments often play out in a best of seven series, 
So in those situations, the better team most often advances. Yet in college sports, in this winner-take-all format, it incentivizes teams to play with a greater sense of desperation and effort, knowing they need not extend their effort over a several-game series, but simply for a single game. Therefore, all coaches implore their teams to play with a sense of desperation, encouraging their teams to want it more. If you pay attention to news media, these are phrases you'll often hear again and again from players and coaches. From a few different stories recently in the news, said a losing coach, referring to the winning team, they played like a team that was desperate. A losing player sadly admitted about the opposing team that they wanted it more. Something he said was tough to say. And perhaps most painful to our very own, um, he's not even here right now in this room for me to give him shade, Matt Salas, upon their historic upset win over number one seed Purdue, a fairly Dickinson player attributed their win to a greater sense of desperation and want to. I don't think they panicked, he said, referring to Purdue. I think we just wanted it more. That's what Coach put an emphasis on it every time out. Want it, want it, want it. Want it, want it, want it. Be desperate for winning. As simple as it sounds, sometimes a player can be desperate for the wrong things. In the professional basketball ranks, this season has been marred by a contentious Debate about who should be seen as the league's most valuable player. Our very own Denver Nuggets Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers. One thing to note about Jokic is he seems to be less concerned about winning the MVP award and more concerned about winning as a team, the championship. Whereas, I mean, what do you expect I listened to this morning coming in here, sports radio, they were talking about even then Joel Embiid advocating for himself amongst the news media, wanting to win the MVP award. From an outsider perspective, it's easy to wonder if Joel Embiid has his priorities in the right place. Meaning, is he desperate for the right things? In sports as well as in life, it can be easy to misplace our priorities wanting the wrong things. Recently, I saw polling results on social media suggesting a significant decline in traditional American values such as wanting to raise a family, be a part of a faith community, and serve your community. And instead, there was a significant uptick in a desire to, quote, make more money. Now, trust me, I understand just as much as anybody the need to make more money amidst higher prices and Record inflation, right? But I do wonder if these results point to a bigger problem, a desperation, a desire, a want to for the wrong things in life. Desperation. It's something I noticed as I read our text for this morning. That well-known story of Jesus that Bruce read that we celebrated with the children in the Palms Parade, that Jesus making his well-known journey into Jerusalem amongst the crowds of people, I kept seeing this theme of desperation running throughout the story. 
First, there were the crowds of people desperate to see some change happen. Then there were the leaders of Jerusalem seemingly desperate to maintain the status quo. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm speaking of desperation not in a sense of hopelessness or despair, but rather in that same sense of like an NCAA athlete, an all-encompassing, insatiable drive, desperation. Today, as we continue in our sermon series, Seeking, I want to invite you to ponder that word, desperation. When you think about for what you have an all-out insatiable motivation for, what comes to mind? What are those things? What are you desperate for? Desperation, like I said, is what stood out to me as I read the crowd about the crowds of people and they're shouting, Hosanna! Something, again, we replicated this morning. The word Hosanna, as Matt alluded to, literally means save us in the original language. And while some scholars I read suggested this was just kind of a generic form of acclamation, I felt like there was more going on in this story. In verse 9 of that story, it tells us that they were shouting, the people were shouting these words to Jesus. And again, in the original language, I think there's something more to that word that suggests something more desperate that of crying out, of screaming out, Hosanna, save us. This is where I think some historical context is important. In the time of Jesus, the people of Israel were under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. And more, many people, or many scholars, excuse me, think that Jesus' own humble entry into Jerusalem was itself a mockery or spoof of a powerful and mighty military procession of Roman troops into the city. See, this was the time of the Passover, one of the most important religious holidays of the Jewish faith, and many Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to worship in the temple, and the Romans wanted to have extra security on standby should someone try to stir up trouble. Now, as some imagine it, this Roman procession of troops into the city would have featured powerful horses, ornate magistry, and and clashing metal as swords and spears and armor-plated soldiers made their way into the city to tamp down any signs of rebellion. And that's, I think, how the leaders of Jerusalem wanted it. They had made their deal with the devil, the Roman Empire, so to speak, and they were in cahoots with these Roman authorities And they wanted to keep their power and privilege and status quo so long, and they could keep that so long as everything was kept in place how it was. One can imagine, therefore, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem with a crowd of people cheering at his entrance, as described in verse 10, the people in Jerusalem who were among the powerful and the elite They didn't want anybody messing things up for them, especially Jesus. They were desperate, we might say, for things to stay the same, for the status quo. Now, as students of history might remember, the crucifixion of Jesus seemed to stamp out any signs of rebellion or uprising. But nearly 30 years later, in AD 70, Eventually, the status quo would falter 
there would be a serious rebellion leading to Romans destroying Jerusalem and forcing every remaining Jew out of the city. From the perspective of history, we can see that these Jerusalem leaders placed their trust in the wrong things and in the wrong people. So desperate were they to maintain power and prestige that they ignored the plight of the people, which ultimately fomented into rebellion. I sort of wonder if that's what compelled Judas to do what he did. We remember Judas, right? The guy who sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Like, I wonder if he was thinking, you know, Jesus is not doing what we wanted him to do. He's not leading enough of a serious rebellion. Or maybe, who knows what he was thinking, right? But he wasn't satisfied with the way things were, the way Jesus was doing things. So he went to the religious leaders and said, hey, let's make a deal. As one author has said, those of us in Western culture, we can't avoid the recognition of our own reality in Jesus' actions. We would never sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver Yet our commitment to live with integrity is sold out again and again in our misplaced trust in the illusory security of wealth, possessions, and stuff. Like Judas, like the Jerusalem leaders, many of us in America today seem to be desperate for the wrong things, for security, status, wealth, and privilege, and more, our, at best, our desperation cause us to turn a blind eye towards those who are suffering. And at worst, our desperation justifies our participation, whether implicitly or explicitly, in systems and structures with the, which exploit and oppress others. After all, when you're desperate for something, whether it to be to win a basketball game, an MVP trophy, or even the so-called game of life, You'll do whatever it takes, pushing past whoever and whatever is in your way to get there. But the problem is, is that the end of the day, all that stuff will fail. A week ago Saturday, I attended the funeral of a man not much older than myself. Feeling quite ill one day, he went to the hospital only to find out he had a vicious cancer that had spread throughout his entire body, meaning he only had days to live. Sure enough, this man, only 48 years old, married with two children, only had days to live and would pass away soon in the hospital. What struck me, though, as I heard his family and his friends share stories of his last days is that what gave him peace at the end of his life wasn't his house, his material possessions, his job, his career earnings. It was Jesus and his faith in Jesus and the love of his family. In fact, his wife shared that even as he lay there in the hospital on his last days, he shared his faith again and again with all who would listen, leading to two nurses, I'm told, deciding to make decisions to follow Jesus for themselves. Here was a man who, despite his flaws and shortcomings, was desperate for the right things. And he wanted to share with anyone who would listen what he believed really mattered. 
at the end of his life, as he took his final breaths, Jesus, family, and love were his ending breaths. As I thought about this man's life, as I thought about the biblical story for this week, one song came to mind, the song Breathe by Hillsong. The words read, This is the air I breathe, your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread, your very words spoken to me. And I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. Friends, this morning on this Palm Sunday, on the week before Easter, these final days of Lent, I want to invite you to consider, what do you really want? What are you desperate for? All that we place our trust in other than God, wealth, status, financial gains, materials, these will fail. Our trust in these will be disappointed. At the end of our days, at the end of our life, at the end of our story, only Jesus will remain. May we be desperate for the one who can really save. Jesus, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord.